All right, well, let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Revelation. Last year, we finished one of the chapters in 1 John, and, and uh, we were getting ready to go into holidays and whatnot, and I don't remember which service it was. I think it was the first service, and... Um, uh, I closed off and I said, well, you know, I think, I think we're going to go into another book, take a break. And I just kind of, I usually don't say this, but I'm like, so where would you guys like to go? And someone said, heaven! <laughs> I thought, I know a book that talks a lot about that. So, um, and then someone else yelled out, Revelation, Pastor Lance, let's go. And then the, that, that church group, I don't know if it was you or you were here, I was already in my heart leaning towards that because I just felt um, with so many people being drawn back to church, and so many people looking for Bible teaching church. I felt it was important that we would start off our year coming through the holidays, coming out of the holidays, talking about the church. And so we did, but I did so with a reference point. I said, we are going to spend a lot of time in 2023 talking about the church, but more about the future state of the church. And until we get there, which is beginning today, we want to talk about the church right now, what it is, what we are that make up the church. And then that last study we did about being the church and standing as such and how important we, it is that we know what we stand for and what we stand against. And so we're going to come back to that particular topic, by the way, in May. When I lead our church on a tour in Israel, we're going to be bringing in uh, Sean McDowell and Charlie Campbell, and they're going to be talking about those two topics in May, um, what we stand for, what we stand against, because we think that's important. But until then, we're going to be talking about the church and, and, and how Jesus sees the church in the end of the age, what he says about the church in the end of the age. And then as we look at this vision that that is given to John the Apostle, we'll begin to see the church in heaven, the church in the eternal state, and, and, um, and all that. So we're going to be talking about Bible prophecy. We're going to talk about end times. And, and, and when we do, we're like, turn our Bibles over to the book of Revelation. And, and it doesn't take people long to find that. There's no thumbing. It's like, I got it. I'm there. I know, I know where it's at. But do you know what it's about? You know, I, I remember when Lori and I were first married, there was a friend we had, and he was a financial advisor, and he wanted to talk to me about retirement. And so he came over, I remember sitting in my backyard, and he pulls out all this stuff, and he starts talking, these big words, and these ideas, and all these options, and all about the future. And I sat there, and I wanted him to feel welcome. I wanted him to feel like, hey, I appreciate you being here. I'm like, yes, I understand. Yes, I understand a word he was talking about. Yes, I get it. I understand it, you know. And, and Everything he was talking about was really important as it related to my future. I was 28. I'm 63. Those years went by so fast. I was reading a, an article about retirement in America, and it, it did say that 70% of the people in the workforce have some form of retirement plan. And then I read down, and they said the lion's share of that 
is what, what companies have afforded to them, but the people don't know much about it. It's just, this is what you get. You're not real educated about it. It's just something that you're moving forward towards. But then it said, that same percentage of people, as they got closer to retirement, two things happened. Number one, they began to look at retirement completely different. There was an urgency now. Oh, I, better, I better be ready. And secondly, they all said they wish they would have paid attention way more along the way. And I believe that's the, the application, the illustration that maybe defines a lot of Christians today when it comes to, you know, our retirement, our, re our eternal retirement, or toward that the topic of the end times or the end of the age. Every time we've taught any kind of passage that has to do with Bible, Bible prophecy or eschatology, the study of God's word relating to the end times, we see growth. We see numeric growth. There, there'll be a, a growing number of people that just show up more regularly because it's an intriguing topic. Back in the early days when we used to have CDs and, and, and cassette tapes that people would line up to buy after a Bible study, whenever we hit anything relating to the end times, man, the lines were long and the, the CD sales, they were off the charts. Now that the downloads and and, and all the podcasts, and all of that, the numbers will go off of the charts because there's an intrigue. We want to know what the Bible has to say about the end times. And you might be one of those people that are here as well and go, well, I've, I've read through the book of Revelation, and it's, it's a challenging book. And it is a challenging book. But it's not this book that's filled with mysteries that can't be understood. The author, our God, these 66 books... He clearly and succinctly laid out the plan of redemption beginning in the book of Revelation, beginning in the book of Genesis all the way through the, the book of Revelation. And, and you might say that from the very beginning, he gives the clarity we need. And he gives us the understanding we need to know who he is as creator, as the one who had fashioned us and fashioned this planet that we're living on. He gives us clear understanding about who he is and, and, and who opposes him. And who that is along the way. And his plan that opposes God and opposes everything that God is about, including his people and his plan for his people, his plan of redemption. All the way through the book of, uh, all the way through the Bible, beginning at Revelation, there is a clear understanding of who God is and his redemptive plan. And that is the nature of God. He loves us. He's written this love letter, every page of this love letter, in a way that. That, that ties in and, and, and ties in to itself and ties into our life intricately and fundamentally and spiritually so that we will experience him and experience the life that he has designed for each and every one of us. And so we go through the, 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 the 65 books from Genesis to, to Jude and we're like, wow, yeah, there's clarity, but all of a sudden this same author would write the final book and it wouldn't be clear, it couldn't be understood. No, I believe it can, and it is. And so I'm going to walk through this morning an introduction, and I will continue to walk through these chapters slowly, prayerfully, methodically, and very clearly explain what God has to say through this vision that he gave to John, because he's speaking this to you. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that clear in just a few minutes. But I remember when I was younger, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up a Christian family. And I remember probably at the age of five or six, it was a Sunday night, I was in church, and we had a guest speaker, and they were known for teaching on the end times. And I, I, I couldn't remember everything they said. I couldn't repeat everything they said. I just knew that when they were done talking, I was freaked out. I remember I had my own bed, but for a week I slept with mom and dad. And then move forward a little bit, and in 1970 there was a man by the name of Hal Lindsey who wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and our church invited him to come speak, and he spoke, and I was 11 years old, and I remember sitting there, and the dots were beginning to connect because he was talking about scripture, but he was relating it to signs and times and things that were happening that I could see. And I remember again being 11 years old and being freaked out. We were going home and telling my brother, we shared a room at that time and we had bunk beds. And I'm like, hey, bro, we're leaving the lights on tonight. I felt like I wasn't ready. I feared everything they talked about happening in the world and this, the church being taken up. I feared, man, what happens if I don't go up? And they talked about the world, what the world would be like once the church is taken up. And I'm like, I don't want to go through that. In 1972, they came out with a very low budget. $60,000 was the budget for a movie by the title. And how many of you guys remember A Thief in the Night? About seven of us. Wow. Don't Google it. It's not worth it. I said low budget. But it was just a story about a couple and, and the, the girl... You know, the, the wife was, they were younger and, and, and they were going to a church and the pastor was talking about the end times and what it would be like going through Revelation. And she wasn't buying it. The husband did. He gives his life to the Lord. And then it, it just is, the narrative plays out where one day she wakes up in bed and, and the husband's not next to her and the radio. This is when we had a radio alarm clocks. It was on and it was, you know, this national, there's been this just all of these people missing from different parts of the earth. It was the depiction of, of the rapture. And she goes walking into the bathroom looking for her husband. And, and there's the sink and his razor's plugged in. It's turned on and he's not there. And she screams. And I remember sitting there with some of my junior high friends that I had invited. And all of us, you know, back then, six, that, that movie, it was like, whoa. And one of my buddies like, Cook, you think that's going to happen? And I'm like, I think so. There was a song that just kind of played with that, the theme song, and, and it, I'll never forget it. It says, the time has come to change your mind. How could you have been so blind? I wish we'd all been ready. And it was all these 70s people playing their 70 kind of choruses, but it, it did that. And I went to one of those churches that the, often as the pastor would preach, he'd say, look over at your neighbor and tell them this. And I had my buddies with me that day. And he, I'll never forget it. He's like, look over at your neighbor. Look at them right now. And my buddy's like, well, no. And he's like, look at them in the face and tell them, don't be blind or you'll be left behind. And I remember looking at one of my junior high buddies and going, okay, now just follow me with this, will you? Just so you know, we don't do that here. Look at your neighbor right now and say, Pastor Lance will never do that here. But I remember the dots beginning to connect. I want you to understand that the book of Revelation is not just for mature Christians. You people that are wanting to learn about God, his plan for your life right now, 
your, his plan for your life throughout eternity, man, the book of Revelation is for you. you. You newer believers, you're just new and you desire to grow in your walks with Jesus. Oh, man, this book is, it's for you because it, it focuses on him and it teaches you a lot about him. The book of Revelation is centered on the person of Jesus. In Revelation 19.10, it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We'll go through this, this letter, and even in chapter 1, John's going to have this vision, and he's going to see Jesus on the throne. He's going to see him in verse 8, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. There's, there's no other like him. And then he's going to go into the next following that, where Jesus is addressing the church. He's going to address seven specific churches that were in Asia area, in the area of what we would say today as today in uh, Turkey, in Ephesus, in that area. And he's got specific things that he's going to say to them that are relative to them. And then we're going to be able to extrapolate from that. And we're going to be able to say, now these things actually are things that he spoke to the church globally, the church that has continued to grow and evolve over that the last 2,000 years. And we're going to get rich application to us as the church. What Jesus has to say to us today as we look at the messages that Jesus has to those seven churches. Then we're going to get to chapter 5 and we're going to see Jesus call his church home. The rapture of the church. We'll get to chapter 6 and through 6 through chapter 19, and we're going, to see, we're going to see Jesus pouring out his wrath upon the Christ-rejecting world that was left behind, that was not saved and was not taken in the rapture. Then we're going to get to chapter 20, chapter 19, latter part, and into chapter 20, and we're going to see Jesus, who seven years earlier came for his bride and took them up to heaven. We're going to see him with his bride in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we're going to see Jesus come back to the earth after that seven-year period in heaven. And, and, this, and we're going to see the, the, the unfolding of the second coming of Christ. And we will be coming with Jesus, the bride of Christ. We'll be with the groom. Then we're going to move into chapter 20, and we're going to see Jesus on the throne. We're going to see the creator of, of all. We're going to see him create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. And we're going to see him on that throne, talking about how he's made all things new. The entire book of Revelation focuses on Jesus. And hear me, don't miss this. Jesus, through this book of Revelation, has a word for you. Chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus is offering himself to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now, in its context, picture Jesus and his heart, he's calling the churches, those seven churches, and by virtue of that over the time, globally, the church, to repent. To turn back to him. You've left your first love, come back to me. 
and, and, and you become very materialistic. Come back to me. All of those, those warnings we're going to learn about, we're going to embrace. But then we take this personally as well. Because he does want to be invited into a corporate setting like this to be everything that he is designed to be. He deserves to be and desires to be in our, our, the, the makeup of our church as the head of our church. But he also wants to be that in your life. And that begins by giving your life to him and becoming a child of God. And so he has a word for you. Even if you're not a believer here, you're listening online, you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet given your life to him. This book, the entire Bible, but this book in particular as we're going through it, see this as Jesus has a word for you. Open your heart up to him. See what he has to say. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know his plans for us as individuals, his plans for us as the church. And he wants us to know about the plans that he has for the earth in the end times and the plans that he has for eternity. We're going to be giving you a lot of scriptures, so take notes. We will be showing timelines and, and charts, so make sure you've downloaded our app, and we'll be sure to follow these studies with some quotes and notes and, and, and charts and stuff that you can see and you can visualize. Make sure that you keep up with these studies. We record all of these studies. They're live right now. Everything's uploaded on our app and on YouTube and, and all Facebook, all of these other social media platforms. And we know that we're going to go through spring and into summer before we finish. And people should vacation. And as you do, make sure you're staying in tune with what Jesus has to say to you. Take it serious. An eternal retirement awaits you. Don't just think, oh, I, I only need to know a little bit about that. No. As we go through this journey together, lean in, invite your friends, especially those that don't know the Lord, or those that aren't in, in churches that are going to be bold enough to stand up and teach God's word these days. Amen? Invite them and, and have them listen to these studies and, 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 and see what Jesus has to say to you, you and your friends. Talk about this. Challenge one another. But keep up with the studies. Most people are curious and concerned about the condition of this world that we are, we are living in, where it's headed. We see a world that is absolutely in turmoil. Virtually every nation is dealing with some sort of escalating issue that challenges their very existence. We see crisis after crisis, chaos, unrest. We see rising tensions among people, rising tensions among nations, increasing lawlessness and increasing violence, increasing crime. We see the escalation of starvation, disease, a rise in mortality. Our streets are filled with homeless people around the globe. Drug addicts, people dealing with mental illness, people living in, in plight with no hope. Almost 600,000 homeless people in the greatest nation on the planet right now, America. 
30% of those live in California. 170,000 homeless people in California. 116 in L.A. County alone. 116,000 homeless people. Nigeria has 24 million homeless people in a country of 200 million. I was reading a study recently about the 17 million homeless children in Brazil. It broke my heart. We see genocide, human trafficking, wars, civil wars, as we see in Libya and Ethiopia and Yemen and Syria. Drug wars, as we see in Mexico and Colombia. Ethnic wars, like we see with Russia coming against Ukraine. The conflict in Turkey between the Turks and the Kurdish groups there in Turkey. We see rising, continual, ongoing tension in the Middle East. Growing tensions with Israel and the Arab nations that call for its extinction. We see growing nuclear threats. North Korea, Iran, Russia, China. North Korea has, has, you know, like 20 nuclear warheads now. China has 350. Russia has 6,000. On December 7th of last year, Putin came out and he said boldly that the threat of nuclear war is rising. We see global instability, political instability, economic instability. We see hyperinflation. We see the collapse of currencies. We see corrupt governments in free fall like Venezuela and Haiti, leaving their people impoverished and devastated and hopeless. We see the stage being set for a one world government. Exactly what we see the book of Revelation talk about in the end age. We see a push for globalism now. You've heard the phrase, the Great Reset. Klaus Schwab, that German engineer who in 1971 said, Dick, I want to create this, and he founded this economic forum. They meet every year in Switzerland, and, and they, they bring all these global elites that believe in this one world governance that is needed. They say that the world is broken. And at the top of the list, in helping us understand what they define as broken, is the idea that we don't treat the planet well. That we as human beings are a disservice to the planet, and then they give a timeline to the existence of the planet, and then it gives a reason why we need to reset what we do as nations around the world. And they talk about the human race, and there's a push for equality. There's a, there's a push for everybody being the same. It's interesting because the push is that this world is not working. It's not equitable. It's not honoring the planet. We need to reset it. And so they want to replace capitalism with socialism, which fits more of the narrative of a one-world government. They want to replace nationalism with a one-world government. They want to make one, all people equal under one government. And last year, Mr. Schwab, in their last meeting, said to all of them, and it, it is something you can watch online, that now at the tail end of this COVID crisis, or as we're coming out of it, he was talking, that is exactly what we need. The world needs to fall apart 
to fall in line. And now we have seen that the world will fall in line. And so all of these statesmen and elite individuals in the world of economy and governments and in big tech, they are coming together with that push. But there's a spiritual element behind all of the, the formation of that right now. It began with the rebellion of Satan back in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, where he, he's like, I want to be God. He wanted to exalt himself over God and be worshipped as such. And God, of course, cast him down to the earth where Satan has been since that time, working as the prince of the power of the air, the one who is working in the sons of disobedience, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. On earth, it seems that Satan has authority over the kingdoms of the world. You remember when Jesus was led away into the wilderness and was tempted there in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Of course, he did not take them. One day he will, but at that particular time, he's like, no, I'm not going to take that from you. But he didn't refute the fact that Satan had authority over them. John chapter 12, 31 Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. And so he has control of the kingdoms of the world, and we see that play out. And in Revelation, we see that the Antichrist will come on the scene. And he will give that beast power. And that beast will... Will, will rise up, and in chapter 13, he'll pull together a confederation of, of ten nations in which those, that hierarchy, Satan, the Antichrist, will govern the entire world. And as we read through that, they will, they will basically dictate everything. They, they are going to control everything that goes on monetarily, religiously, militarily, governmentally, socially, and morally. And it will ultimately lead to the world worshiping Satan, something that he's always want through the Antichrist. So it's interesting to see calls for this kind of an, a future infrastructure right now from a growing global community. It's interesting to see leaders in almost every government buying into this one world concept. Many of these globalists are excited about our president and, and his build back better idea because it's, they say that fits in. Tear down what America is so that it would build back better is the idea. But their idea is globalism. So the world has its plan for a global reset, but so does God. And that's what we're going to be reading about in the book of Revelation. The creator of the earth has the right to reset his earth, and he will do it in Revelation chapter 20 when he comes back here to this planet with us in his second coming and establishes his kingdom where he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Can I hear an amen? amen. That's the reset I'm about. So today we see the book of Revelation unfolding right before our very eyes. The world is becoming what the Bible says the world will become in the end times with a greater velocity. I want to give you several reasons 
why it's important for us to study the book of Revelation. Number one, we need to be informed. As we go through the book of Revelation, we will be informed by God as to how he views the world. We will have a biblical world view, both as how the world currently stands and then what it will evolve into, what it will continue to grow towards getting worse and worse in the end times. God wants us to be informed. God wants us to be informed what the world will be like, and God wants us to be informed as to what the church should be like in light of that. As we will see, much of the church is in need of repenting. Again, some have lost and left their first love. Others will see, stop standing against false doctrine and false teachers. Some, in the end times, walk away from the faith. As Paul said in 2nd, or 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. God does not want us to be misguided or deceived. So he informs us. Matthew chapter 24, when the disciples are with Jesus, they're up on the Mount of Olives, they're looking over at the temple, and Jesus looks over at the temple, and he predicts the destruction of the temple. That's coming down, not one stone will be left upon another. And again, in their minds, they were like, what? Wow. When is the end? Tell us what the end is. What's the sign? You've been talking about coming back again. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the first thing that Jesus said was like, look it, take heed that nobody deceives you. There's going to be all kinds of people running around saying all kinds of stuff that they're me and they're going to try and deceive many. But then there's these things I want you to be informed about. It's going to happen. In verse 6, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says this. It's almost as like, as I'm talking about these things that are going to happen, see that you're not troubled. And then he begins to talk about more things that will happen at the end of the age. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginning of sorrows. All of these are like the birth pains that a mother feels. They become more intense and more regular the closer she is to giving birth. We need to be informed. The word revelation, the word in Greek is apocalypse. Sometimes we think of something very horrendous. It's apocalyptic. That's not the idea. The word means to unveil. The, mean, the, word, the word means to, to uncover. Again, revelation is Jesus unveiling or revealing his assessment of the church. He, before he does that, he like unveils or reveals who he is right now on the throne. Then what he has to say to the churches or the church. <clears throat> he is the one that reveals 
his second coming. He is the one that reveals. He wants us to be informed what the world is going to be like when he takes his bride home. And he wants us to be informed so that we're like, I want nothing to do with that. I want to make sure I'm safe so that when he comes back, I go with him. Maranatha, anybody? He reveals the great white throne judgment. He reveals that day where he's going to, the, the books will be opened. And anyone's name that is not in the Lamb's book of life. You know, we make some pretty important reservations in life down here. But you better make sure your name is in that book. But the books will be opened. And anyone's name who's not in that book. The people who weren't saved. He judges them. And then he, he casts them into eternal judgment. He is the one that reveals that to us. He is the one that reveals what it is like that he, as creator of all, creates a new heaven and a new earth. He wants us to know that. He reveals that to us. He wants us to learn that. He wants us to embrace that. What is that like for him to be on that throne and these two rivers of life coming? And he's like, behold, all things have become new. And where I am, look at your capital coming down right here. The new city of Jerusalem. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. For the former things are gone. And behold, I who sit on the throne say, all things are new. He's revealed that to us. So that we'd be informed. Revelation is a front page story of the future of the world and the world to come. Written by someone, John, as he's taken up to a vision, who's seen it all. It's a front page story given to John to reveal to us, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the person who is going to do it all, Jesus himself. So we read the book of Revelation to be informed. We also read the book of Revelation to be prepared. Jesus is coming to take believers home. We need to be prepared. He is coming to a world that opposes him and his followers. And we need to be prepared to stand in that world. We need to be prepared to share the love of Jesus with that world in the end age. We need to be prepared so when the trumpet blows, we go up and we are not left behind. Number three, we need to study the book of Revelation so we will anticipate what Jesus is going to do. The book of Revelation not only gives us information, it, it builds anticipation. Fourthly, we study the book of Revelation because, again, we need to be, we need to be ready. The, the book of Revelation builds our faith in God. It builds our faith in his plans for our life, his plans for the church. It builds our faith in God's plan for the world, because we're like, wow, we're reading this, and it's actually unfolding just like he said. And it builds then our faith in his plan for our future. We need to be ready. And in order for us to be ready, our faith needs to grow. Our faith needs to be mature. And in Romans chapter 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We need to be ready, because in verse 3, he says, the time is near. He says, the time is near. In verse 1, he says, you know, these things you know, must take shortly. They're going to take place shortly. They're going to, it's going to happen quickly. 
the, the, the Greek word for that, we'll get to that next week, but it's in tachai. It means to happen more frequently and to happen rapidly. We derive our English word tachometer from that. And the implica impl implications of that is that when the end time events begin to happen, they'll, they'll increase their RPMs. They're going to happen with, with just a, a greater, faster pace to them. You know, driving through the girls when we were younger, still we love to go to Yosemite. We love Yosemite Valley. And I can remember the trips, taking the girls, packing them up, getting ready. We are going to Yosemite. They'd always be amped up. But it was just talk until we got there. But once we started to drive, the reality of going to Yosemite became a little more, yeah, real. But we would leave our house in this area, and the first sign that we would see for Yosemite wasn't until we got to the city of Tulare. It, on an average person's drive, that's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. I had girls. We had 15 potty, potty breaks. So it was about seven hours later, <laughs> later, we would see the first sign. And then as we get to Tulare, it's just a number of different words. But then Yosemite Valley, it would say, or Yosemite X amount of miles away. But the closer that we would get, coming off the 99, going up the 41, a big old sign. And it was just Yosemite Valley, and, 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 and you were like, and the girls would always get so excited. And then the farther that we went up that, that highway, Highway 41, there was more frequency to the signs. There were more signs that said Yosemite Valley, X amount of miles. Go a little bit farther, Yosemite Valley, X amount of miles. And it was just chalking off the mileage. But there were other signs as well, telling us we were getting close. It wasn't just the written words. We got up into a place called Oakhurst, and we came out of like dry, you know, grassland with some big rocks and all that. And all of a sudden, we got up into the oak trees, and man, you could smell them. And the girls knew that oh, we're not, we're not too far away from Yosemite now, because look at the terrain has changed, the, the the environment around us has changed. There were more indicators that we were closer to Yosemite Valley. And then once we got above the oak trees, man, the signs were like big old brown signs now. Yosemite Valley, you know, 10 miles away. And now we saw pine trees. You could smell them. The, the granite that makes up Yosemite Valley begins to be, you know, seen in the, in the, in the distance. And, and you're like, wow, I could smell it. I could see it. And then eventually we come up and there's a ranger station. And there's nothing like getting in that line. And you pull up and you pay way more money than you should. And there's a guy in a cool hat and an iron jacket and everything. And he's all smiling. And you get there and he goes, welcome to Yosemite Valley. Look around. As we read. Look at the frequency of the signs. Are you getting more excited? There, there are times, there are days with me, I'll just tell you. I'm so busy. I'm so busy doing what I do for Lori, doing what I do for my family, doing what I do for ministry, that I'm not smelling pine trees. I'm just so busy. And then, and then the, the, the day is gone, and, and, and maybe a couple of days, or maybe even a couple of weeks, and I haven't thought about the return of Jesus. I haven't thought about the glaring signs 
all around me, but they're there. As we go through the book of Revelation, I pray that you and I begin to smell the closeness of heaven. We begin to see the signs and the indicators that the end of the age, as the Bible defines the end of the age, that well, we are there. So we study this book to be ready, but we also study this book in order to have peace. We see a world that is spiraling out of control, but we can have peace because as we read the book of Revelation, we realize that God is ultimately in control. As we live in a world that's spiraling out of control, and that brings peace. That's why Jesus said, don't be troubled when you see all this stuff happening. We don't study prophecy to build a calendar. We study prophecy to build character. It's designed to bring us hope. It's been said that we rest in our past because Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. We rest now in the present because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father ever interceding for us. And we rest in our future because we know he's coming back for us. We study the book of Revelation as well in order to be blessed because God promises great blessing to those who study this book and heed its message. Verse 3 again, chapter 1, we'll get to this next week. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. That's at the beginning of this book. At the end in chapter 22, Jesus says, and behold, I'm coming quickly. Verse 7, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Prophecy. It'll build character but it'll also build confidence in who God is. Because as we study prophecy, we're learning about the character of God. He is eternal. He right now sees past, present, and future at the same time. We don't. We're temporal. And he has pinned down in our, our word here, his word, his love letter to us, the past, present, and future so that we would be informed, so that we wouldn't be ignorant, so that we would not be troubled, so that we would not deviate from his plan. 25% of the Bible, 25% of it is prophetic. It's God predicting things that will come long before they do come to pass. And then they do come to pass just as he predicted they would come to pass. That's what separates our book, the Bible, from any other book on the planet. Isaiah chapter 41, 21 through 23, God talking to the pagans about their gods, he's like, present your case. Bring forth your strong reasons. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show former things, what they were that we may consider them 
and know the latter end of them. Or, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we, we may know that you are gods. And he's challenging these pagans about their gods. And he's like, what have your gods foretold? Come on. Challenge them that way. Challenge them that way, Isaiah. What have your gods foretold? When have they said something that would happen long before it did happen, and then it actually happened just as they said it would happen? And then we'll consider their being deity. But they can't. Isaiah chapter 42, 8 and 9, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved image. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, <laughs> I tell you those things. Chapter 46, he's like, I'm God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are not yet to come. That's my counsel. That's my pleasure to do that. And he does so. And as we read that and understand that, it builds confidence in our heart as to who God is, the nature of God, that he is eternal. He actually can do this. It validates who he is as eternal God. Knowing what the Bible teaches us about the future communicates the full character of God. It gives us hope because he's looking at the future in the now and saying, let me give you a glimpse of that. And so it should bring hope. When he talks about the future and his son coming back to, to take us home, we should look at that and it should well up hope, especially as we're living in a world that's spiraling out of control. Amen? That's why Paul would tell Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word made, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's an interesting word that he uses there to describe the world. A dark place. In the Greek, the Greek derivative of that is, it's, it's murky, but it's talking about not just the absence of light, it's talking about the morality, the, the lack thereof. It's talking about the murkiness of the world, the more immoral, the darker. But you, we have, he doesn't just say the word. He says we have the word that talks about the future relating to the dark world. And the idea is that it's light. It illuminates. It gives you, God has given us the path. The psalmist would say in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into the path. And we have that. If we're born again, the word of God is illuminated and our eyes are open to us and uh, to it. And we, we, we begin to understand where the path that God has for us. But then we also are that light. We have taken in that word and we are to illuminate that. The truth of who Jesus is to the dark 
world, the immoral world around us. And we do that until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Before the day dawns, it's great if you're ever up at that time. Some of us need to get up at that time. But to walk out and see that last star, that morning star, that morning star, we do that until the sun appears, until Jesus comes back. Amen? John, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show the servants things which much take place, and he sent and signify it by his angel to his servant, John. John, the apostle John, his brother James, sons of Zebedee, a couple of hot-headed fishermen. He was the youngest disciple to follow Jesus. But he would become part of the inner circle James and John and Peter. Uniquely, the Lord wanted them to see some things. The, the raising of Jairus' daughter, the transfiguration. Jesus would be in the Garden of Gethsemane in the night before he would be betrayed. The Apostle John was beckoned with his brother and James and Peter would join he and, and Jesus and watch and pray. John would be the first of the disciples to see a vacated tomb. He would be the first of the disciples to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. John, the Apostle John, who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. Who would have seen Jesus on the cross and would have said, Behold your mom. Take care of mom. A unique Entrusted friend of Jesus, loved by Jesus. Six times in his Gospels he would say, I'm the guy that Jesus loved. Humbly. John. Four times we see him in the book of Acts. Boldly proclaiming his faith in Jesus. John. Who later on would move up to Ephesus. And he would minister probably from his, his 50s or maybe my age, his younger 60s, on into his 90s in the area of Ephesus. John, who Eusebius, the church father, would say, would not bow a knee to the, the Roman emperor Demetrius, Demetrius. And because of that, the church fathers would say they threw him in a vat of oil, but he lived. Go figure that. Exiled then to a penal colony that was on the outside, on the, the far side of Ephesus. Actually, an island off of the southern part of Ephesus. I think we got a map here. You can take a look at that. John, probably in his 90s, average lifespan was mid-40s. God was not done with him. Ministering all through the region of Ephesus, as you see there, each one of those stars represent 
one of the churches, the seven, one of the seven churches that Jesus has something to say to. John, now banished to Patmos there, down below, just off of the border there of Ephesus, looking over like we would towards Catalina, from Catalina towards the mainland, and thinking about the people he had been ministering to for the last couple of decades. John, who saw Jesus last when he ascended to heaven, would be banished, and a vision would be given to him, and he would, he would see the Lord once again on his throne. He would be told, write these things down that you see. And he'd begin to go, whoa, you look amazing. This bright light. And we'll get into all the description of Jesus on the throne. John, begin to write down these words. I, I have something to say to Thyatira and Sardis and Laodicea. I have something to say to Calvary La Habra, to Lance Cook. Pin this down. I want them to see me for who I am right now, my majesty. I want them to study that, be informed about that, gain hope from that. Pin it down. I've got words to say to the church. Keep writing. I want the future church to know I'm coming back for them. Keep writing. No chapters, no verses, just keep writing. Write what's going to happen. Pin it down. Come on, John, pin it down. This is what's going to happen on the earth in the end of the age. Oh, but then I'm coming back. Oh, pin it down. Picture aged John hearing the words of Jesus and pinning these words for you. Lance, I'm coming quickly. I'm going to come back. I'm going to take what is rightfully mine. Chapter 5. John takes us to the throne room. Jesus is on the, the throne. We've already been taken up. We're there. You are in the book of Revelation if you're born again. Actually, you're in the book of Revelation if you're not born again. It's just where will you be in the book of Revelation? And he weeps. Because the lamb on the throne sees him. And there's this, this title deed to the earth. And it's got seven seals on it. And John's weeping because a title deed to land it assigns authority to the person who owns the land. And at that particular point in time, the kingdoms of the world are still Satan's. He's been given the title deed to the earth at the fall. And John is weeping over the effects of what the earth has become because of who has been its authority. The prince of the power of the air the one working in the sons of disobedience. And he's weeping because he says, who's worthy? Who's worthy to open it? And I'll save that study to talk about 
title deeds in that culture, what makes you the person that's worthy and credible to be able to claim that title deed back. But for the sake of closing this study, he looks and he realizes the one on the throne, he alone is worthy to redeem back the world. And then we are there. And we start singing. Some of you people that have never like lifted your hands in a church before, you won't be able to put them down. Some of you that have never like went there because you're just so like you care about like people, you care about like the brunch that you're late to right now, all that kind of stuff, you're going to be undone. Undone. You people that are convinced it's better at the back of the church, you got the cheap seats there, you're going to be in the front. I'm going to be going, get out of my way. You were so back row at La Habra. What is up with you here? He's here. He's here, Lance. That's my Savior. He's the only one with scars in heaven. And I'm worshiping him as the lamb that took away my sin. And I can keep going, but we've got several months to teach this stuff. You get the point. That's the author. It's Jesus sending an angel to inspire John to write down this book that points the readers to Jesus and to fall in love with him, to give their life to him, and to line their life up with his plan plan that clearly spells out what it is going to be like at the end of the age moving forward into eternity. Let's all stand. We thank you, Jesus, for the work you do in our hearts. We give time to you and allow you to be our, our teacher and speak to us in your word. I'm mindful of just something I heard recently that Billy Graham, if he could have done one more life differently, what is the main thing he would have done differently? And he simply just said, I would have sat with you, Jesus, more. Thank you for those times we can be with you and spend time with you and allow you to speak to us through your word. And lastly, as we are here, and we don't have time for a formal invitation, but if you are here online and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer where you can. He won't force salvation on you. You can't buy it or earn it. It's a free gift. Salvation comes as a result of us receiving him and what he alone can do in our lives in transforming us and bringing spiritual regeneration to us. So if you're here and it might be, well, I, I realized this morning I need Jesus. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Would you just pray this to him? Say, Jesus, I... I recognize this morning that I'm a sinner. 
I recognize I can't save myself. And I agree with your word that you are God. And as your word says, you died for me. And you rose from the dead. So put your faith in him right now. Say, Jesus, I choose you. You've chosen me. I choose you. Forgive me right now, please. Come into my life right now. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love, your grace, your mercy. Ask him to give you a a heart for him. A heart for his word. A heart for the church. A heart for the lost. And Lord, you know who's leaned into that prayer and expressed those words to you and may they experience right now the joy of the Lord as you save them. And Lord, for any here that are saved and maybe have walked away and they're backslidden, oh man, may they see you as the prodigal son saw his father with arms opened up. And may they just run to you today and throughout this week. Pick up in the word where they left off and the worshiping you and and just go back to following you and falling in love with you. Thank you for what work you're doing in this church. We see on Sunday mornings and Wednesday, all these things, just all these people pouring in here and really valuing and appreciating you and, and your word. Thank you for that, Lord. Tonight as we'll gather, bless our our time as we just try and connect people. We love you. Until you come and and, and take us home, that that morning star as you are, and you rise in our hearts. May we live with this anticipation for your return. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.